We're actually, we're in week four, part two of week three uh, tonight in our Abide series. Hopefully you've got a talk sheet in front of you uh, and maybe something to write with. If you don't have one of those, uh, Grace has got a couple of those in her hand. If you would just simply raise your hand, she could come around and you can grab one. That talk sheet's going to be really important tonight. So uh, there's a lot of blanks and we're going to go really, really fast. All right. When I was growing up, when I was your age, one of the things that we did as a family, my dad in particular, we lived, I was an Air Force brat, so I was around military all the time, and uh, Air Force in particular. And so my dad would take us out to the Air Force base, and we would be able to walk around, and I could actually get close to some of the airplanes, the F-15, the F-4, like some of these big planes, the C-130, the KC-172s, all of those like... The C-5 came into Berkshire Air Force Base one time. My dad got us out there to look. And so I, getting around and being around these airplanes, I got, I got really good at recognizing those airplanes in the air. But then as years went on, I got to, if I heard that airplane, I could identify that plane in the air as it was flying over my house. And I got really good at recognizing them. And so uh, do, do I have any airplane buffs in the room. Do I have anybody in the room that uh, loves aviation and maybe could probably get, there's one in the back. All right. Stand up for me real quick. All right. Here we go. It's Preston. Preston knows these things. All right. So here's what I'm fixing to do. I'm going to put you a little pop quiz. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a, a sound of a plane. On, we're going to play it here in just a second. I want you to do your best to tell me what kind of plane it is. You got this? You got to guess it. Sarah Kate, play it. Okay, so, so based on that, what, what are some things you could recognize about it? Okay, it's a propeller, right? Any, any kind of stab at it as to what kind of plane that may be? A P-51 Mustang. So if you're in the military, you probably know P-51 Mustang. It was like a World War II airplane that they actually flew over Pearl Harbor, all those kind of things. But no, it's not a P-51, but it's kind of close. It's a single prop engine, maybe a little bit more contemporary. I'll give you one more chance. Uh, it's probably newer, but P-51 was a really good guess, by the way. It's a Cessna 172. Do you know what that is? Uh, you know what a Cessna 172 is? Okay, so it's like a two-seater airplane, single prop, wing over the top. Has the Anyway, do I have any automobile buffs? Do I have anybody that knows, like you know cars? Like you know cars? All right, Bizzle, stand up. Lucas. Lucas is one of our freshmen. Actually, Lucas got baptized about, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? So uh, pretty amazing. All right. Now, this one's going to be tough, my friend, but I think you may be up for it. All right. Can you turn it up a little bit?
Do we have another clip? Sarah Kate, can we help him out? Do we have another clip? He's asking older or newer. Uh, it could be it could be either one. It could it'd probably be a little bit older. Firebird. That's a great guess, but you're wrong. Can you take another guess? You want to take another guess? Fastback? No. It's actually a VW bug. Volkswagen bug. You're like, whoa, now I hear it. All right, do I have any animal? Do I have any animal? This has got to be a lady. This has got to be a lady. Okay, stand up. Okay, are you ready for this? Now, this one's going to be tough. I'm not going to lie. This one's really tough. All right? So this is an animal. I will tell you this. It's not a machine. This is an animal. But can you tell the animal by this sound? Go, Sarah Kate. (laughs) Somebody just said it's a cat. (laughs) We could play another clip for you if that would help. Okay, everybody, shh. Play another clip. And you're, you're, what would you say? What do you say? That's a monkey. Okay, let's get a little bit more specific. What kind of monkey? The ones with the butts. I don't know what those ones are. Orangutan. A what? She's guessing orangutan. Is that your final answer? You are really close. But that's wrong. But you are really close. It's actually a baboon. Uh, when I first heard that, I was like, Mo, that's kind of, that feels kind of weird. Um, here's, the, here's the point of that illustration. Here's the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration is simply this. Many times we can tell what an object is by simply how we hear it and how we see it. For me, when I was growing up, I could see an airplane and I could tell you what kind of airplane it was just by sight. I could hear it and begin to understand. I, could, I, could knew, I knew because of the pitch of the, the motor or uh, even the, like the thrust that I would hear coming out, I could tell you what kind of airplane, if it's an F-15 or an F-4. And here's the thing. You may not be able to see the thing, but you could tell what it is. Or sometimes you can see the thing and not hear it and know exactly what it is. And so the point here is we're in week two of understanding what does it mean to abide in Christ and those people that do abide in Christ, what kind of fruit do they bear? Because we understand and we know that a person who is connected to Jesus is going to have a certain characteristic that's going to flow in and through them that's going to reflect and look a little bit like Jesus. And so the question that I want us to think about is, are you bearing fruit that is in line of the vine that you are connected to? That's the whole point of this series, of the Abide series. We're walking through John 15. And we're getting to verses four and five tonight. We're actually, this is like week 
Anyway, like I said, week four, part two of this series. And I want us to look. If you have your Bible, if you have an app, go to John chapter 15, and let's read verses four and five together. If you got it, say, oh, yeah. If you need more time, say, hold up, brother. All right. John chapter 15. Some of y'all just like saying that. You, you probably have John 15. Okay, well, maybe not Jack, but. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, he bears what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're diving in to verse 5 and that phrase that simply says, he bears much fruit. Three weeks ago is when we had this talk. I talked about the first three out of seven fruits that come out of a life of someone who's abiding in Jesus. And the first three, I'm going to go through really fast, okay? One if you want to look at it, if you want to go in a deeper study of it and you want to hear that talk, you can actually go online, bellevue.org HS. You can scroll down and you can hear the talk from three weeks ago. One, genuine repentance. Genuine repentance is fruit number one. A believer who knows that they sin and seeks to genuinely turn away from that sin because they recognize the sin in their life and they know they need to do something about it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within them and they seek to repent of that. Number two, there's spiritual attitudes. And we dove into the Galatians passage where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That these are the fruits that are a part of our lives, the attitudes in which we are to have. And we see all of those attitudes displayed in Christ. As you read through the Gospels, you see the life of Christ, you see him displaying these fruits in his life as an example is how we are to live. Fruit number three, reflective praise. Reflective praise. That a believer who is captured by the love of God and desires to praise him for what he has done and what he's capable of doing in their life in the future. Your breath that God has put in you, you want to give it back to him in praise. And so there is a heart of worship that comes out, a believer who is abiding in Jesus. And that worship is not of something, it is of someone. And his name, and only name, is Jesus. We sang about him tonight. Amazing. So those are the first kind of three fruits of what it means to abide in Christ, to bear much fruit. We're going to dive into the last four. I need you to hold on real tight, because we're going to go really fast through this, okay? Here we go. Number four, fruit, sacrificial giving, sacrificial giving. This is the fruit of contributions of love to those who are in need. If you're abiding in Christ, you see this in Christ's life, right? You, all he did was meet needs. He was healing people, he was feeding people. He was kind of walking on water too and blowing people's minds. But this is, this is who he was and what he did. His whole heart, his whole ministry was helping those who were in need. That should be a part of us. If we are connected and abiding in Christ, then in us is going to be a heart of compassion. 
There's going to be a hard to desires to meet the needs of the people around you. Some of you, this is easier, but for some of you, it is not. Many of us, some of us, will just walk by those who are in need and just believe that, oh, somebody else will take care of it. But a true abiding believer is going to have some compassion for them and desire to meet their needs. A couple of things to think through is that true fruit-bearing believers seek the welfare of the city and those who are in genuine need. Jeremiah 29, 7 says this. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I may be sent, where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will have welfare. The nation of Israel had been exiled. They had been moved out of Jerusalem. And now they're finding themselves in Babylon. And there God commands them. He says, even though this is not your city, you need to seek the welfare of that city. In other words, seek to meet the needs of the people that are around you. Paul, in his missionary journeys, saw many people that provided for him. As he was walking and talking and sharing the gospel, the different cities and places that he would go, he would receive gifts from different churches and different believers in those cities. And he looked at those gifts that he got as fruit of their labor toward him. The fruit that he saw in the believers of those communities He received that fruit. He talks about it in two different places. Philippians 4 is one of those. Verses 16 through 17 says, For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Romans 15, 26 through 28 says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things. They are indebted to do them a service also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and I have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on the way to you in Spain. And so Paul saw the compassion. He was a beneficiary of the compassion of those that were around. Y'all, when your needs are met by somebody, it is like a blessing. Can I get an amen on that one? Like some of you, there have been people that have reached out to you, maybe when you were going through a hard time, maybe it was a friend that really sat with you during your grief or sat with you during that time when you were really going through it. Maybe it was a big breakup. Maybe there's some drama and friendships and you had some people that came around you, whether it was a text at the right time, maybe it was a prayer at the right time, or maybe even just the presence of having a friend. When someone does that for you, it really changes you, right? Makes you more grateful for the people around you. But can you imagine that those that may be in our ministry here, just in our high school ministry, how many needs are in this room that if we knew about them, that we could do something about it? And I think even just in this room, we could meet each other's needs in a way that only we know, right? And so what would it look like for us as abiding Christians that we would have a heart of compassion and desire to meet the needs of people around you? When they start talking, you don't shut them down. When they start sharing their needs and what's going on, that you are genuine in your compassion toward them. You want to listen to what's going on and simply ask the question, what can I do for you to help you? It's amazing when you would ask that question with a genuine, sincere heart, how one will be received And two, how they will welcome that in their lives. 
The last thing that an abiding Christian needs to do is to look at a need and brush it off. Did y'all hear that? The last thing that an abiding Christian needs to do is to see a need and just brush it off. If anything, let that need stir up a compassion and a desire to seek their welfare. Fruit number five. I told you I'm going quick. Fruit number five. Uplifting talk. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to camp out on this one. Actually, I'm going to camp out on the next two. Does our communication bless others? This one is really tough because I've sat in your seat. When I was in middle school and high school, you could not tell by my words that I love Jesus. Oh, I went to church for sure. One, because my mom drugged me to church, right? I had a drug problem. And that was, I was in church. My mom always made sure, one, that I was wearing khakis because she would never let me wear jeans to church. That was never a thing back in the day. Remember, this is back in the 80s, all right? So I'm dating myself. So I always had to have khakis on. My mom always made sure that I had khakis. And if I really was going to go to church, like on Sunday morning church, then I had to make sure I had a button down in khakis. Can I get an amen by some of the people in this room? Your mama's making you dress like that? That was me. And so uh, it was one of those things that I lived one way, but I talked another. When I was not at church, and it was Crossroads Baptist Church, was the church we were going to, but I went to Kokar Stevenson Middle School literally across the street from the church that I attended. And that street was the dividing line of my character. I would walk into the doors of the church and talk church. But then when I walked into Kokodar Stevenson Middle School, buddy, it didn't matter. I was going to say whatever word that was necessary in order to please my friends and to gain their respect. I think I made up cuss words back in those days. Like, I, ha- I genuinely had a potty mouth. And I played in athletics, and I did the football, basketball thing, and um, walking in locker rooms, and I wanted to flex, right? I didn't, back in the 80s, that word didn't mean the same way it means right now, but I wanted to do, say whatever was necessary in order to win the approval of the people around me. And if that meant that I had to drop an F-bomb every now and then, then I would do it. And there was no recourse of that. Like, I didn't have any guilt of that. And so my mouth did not reflect <laughs> what I... I was a believer at that time. I had accepted Christ when I was eight years old. But man, middle school, the first couple of years of high school, it was... Oh, I was... My mouth got me in trouble a lot. And my mouth never reflected what truly was inside my heart. Because I was always wanting to impress Your words matter to others around you. It does. The words that you speak matters. Let me give you just a measuring stick of what this means. What is a measuring stick of the language that you use? Let me just ask a couple of questions. These are rhetorical questions. If you want to answer them out loud, go for it. But if you you just want to think about it, do others want to listen to you when you talk? Do others want to listen to you? Or are the words coming out of your mouth degrading? Are the words coming out of your mouth not reflecting a blessing to those around you? I think even a non-Christian would understand this point. Another measuring stick is, do you find yourself trying to use coarse joking or sarcasm to win the approval of your friends? If I get a laugh, they'll like me. 
If I make fun of someone or I use my sarcasm to get a laugh, will they like me even more? And the last measuring stick is, are you glorifying God with your words? If Jesus was standing next to you as you were talking, would he be glorified in that? That is a convicting statement. It was convicting to me. And that's the question that flipped the switch for me when I was in high school. When I ended my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, it just clicked in my head. It just, that I, the words that I was speaking was not any way reflection of who Jesus was. And I was the one that needed to change. And it took some time, but I was able to work it out to where the cussing was just not a part of who I was. Even the coarse joking and the dirty jokes that I would tell and all the things, like all of that would just, would, it just faded away. And then my words began to be something that was, one, I liked listening to, but others did too. And when I was in high school, in my sophomore year, I found a group of five friends. And that group of five friends got me through high school. And those five friends were, were the, the words that I would use with them because I valued them so much, I wanted to make sure that they were uplifted and that I was, one, glorifying God and honoring that friendship that I had with them. I didn't want to do anything or say anything that would jeopardize that friendship. And so I had to change. So I changed my words. Some of us need to do the same. Psalm 34, 13. I'm going to go through these verses real fast. Keep your, you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips will endure forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Do you ever use lies to, one, cover up, or use lies to get your own way? Right? If I lie about this, then, then I, get, I get to do this, or I, people will believe this about me, so I'll just tell a white lie. You're never embracing the truth. Proverbs 8, 7 says, For my mouth will proclaim truth and wickedness, is an abomination to my lips. Here's another big truth bomb right here. You don't have to say everything you think. You don't have to say everything you think. Proverbs 21, 23 says this, one who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Ooh, that's some good wisdom in there. Psalm 51, 15 says this, Lord, open my lips so that my mouth may declare your praise. And Psalm 141 says this, set a guard, Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes silence speaks louder than any word you would ever say. And sometimes Many times, our words, we'll just spit it out of our mouths, out of our head, not even thinking. It's like unfiltered. And the next thing you know, we're throwing out one, sarcasm is a big one for us in our generation. Sarcasm just starts flying out everywhere. And that sarcasm is at the detriment of someone that's close to you or around you. You're always sarcastic about somebody else, and it's never uplifting, right? Oh, I didn't mean that. How many use that phrase? Oh, I mean, I was, I was just, just that, wasn't, that wasn't right. Oh, I'm just kidding. We'll use these lies to cover up 
many of the truth that we're spitting out. Passive aggressive, that's another kind of phrase. Your words matter to those around you. You don't have to say everything you think. Last one is the fruit of our lips must praise his name every day. An abiding believer, an abiding Christian, what's going to come out of their mouth is one thankfulness for the one that they're abiding in. And in that is contagious. The people around you want to be a part of something like that, where you start blessing people and not cursing them. When you start opening your mouth and speaking the name of Jesus freely, well, Steve, they're going to think I'm a Bible thumper. Well, that's an 80s word, that's for sure. Um, That's not true. They're going to want to be around you. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit, bless you, of our lips praising his name. 1 Peter 3.10 says this, For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I think one of the most powerful passages of Scripture about this topic is in James. He mentions it in James chapter 1. But he goes into James chapter 3, and he spends a lot of time talking about how the mouth is a rudder, right? And there needs to be a bridle over our tongue, like those kind of things. James is illustrating for us the power of the tongue and the power it has either to curse God or to bless God, to put down others or to uplift others. And I'll summarize it with these two verses. It's not on the screen, but in James 1.26, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, his person's religion is worthless. That is strong. If you cannot tame your tongue, your religion is worthless. James 3, 10, is kind of the, James 3 is the whole thing about the tongue. But in verse 10, he summarizes what he's talking about here. And this is strong too. He says, from the same mouth come both praising or blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. Do you uplift the people around you by the words that you speak? How are you encouraging each other. How are you uplifting each other with your words? Even for your best friend, right? How do you how do you uplift them? Or you just take it for granted that they're your friend? Do you speak kindness to them? Do you show your appreciation with your words to the people around you? I think any one of us would want a friend that would uplift us in that way. Not in a way of like they're lying to you to make you feel better. They just genuinely appreciate you and they genuinely want to use those words to uplift you and to encourage you. Here's a big truth bomb for the night. You ready? Your lips and your conduct must match what you believe. Your lips and your conduct must match what you believe. The abiding Christ, abiding Christian, right? The fruit that I bear is a deep connection to who Jesus is. So we haven't talked about conduct yet, So, but that's fruit number six, is pure conduct. It's righteous behavior. I tell my kids all the time, when they leave the house, 
Don't do anything to disgrace the family name. How many of you have heard that before? Old school. I used it with both of my girls when they would go out and hang out with friends or do whatever. I would simply say, hey, don't do anything to disgrace the family name. And basically what I'm saying is, let your conduct reflect Christ. How you act matters. It matters to the name of Jesus, and it also matters to the Spences. And how we conduct ourselves is absolutely essential. You reflect somebody with your actions. You do. You learned what you know about what to do in life by watching somebody. Don't know who, but how you act, how you treat others, many times is a reflection of someone else. And so how you conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the name of Jesus. If you are a true abiding Christ Christian, then what's going to come out of you is going to be a conduct, a behavior that is in line with who Jesus is. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to be holy, holy, holy all the time. Jesus did that for us. And when he paid it on the cross, he covered our sin. And our, that righteousness is bestowed upon us. We don't always have it together. One, because we're learning. And so there's some things that are essential to us to help us build the character and build the conduct in which it honors Christ. How we go about living our lives matters and reflects the vine we are connected to. Is that up there? Yeah. Um, Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of the will of the spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Y'all, that's the character of a Christian right there. The conduct of a Christian is that I'm honoring the Lord in how I act and how I talk. Many times, in order for us to learn what good conduct is, discipline is a part of that. Now, when I say the word discipline with a group of teenagers, many times they're like, I don't like discipline. <laughs> I just, just let me do what I want to do. I know what I'm doing. Just let me do what I want to do. Y'all, we don't have it together. I didn't have it together when I was a teenager. I needed my dad to let me know when I was out of line. I needed someone who would guide me and lead me. And many times, and it's God-ordained, it's our parents. Our parents are usually the ones that help guide us and discipline us because they're the ones that spend the most time with us. Now, I understand sometimes there's some split families and it's many times between mom and dad. And so sometimes there's, but there's going to be some discipline when you get out of line. And so how do how you respond to that discipline is a reflection of who you're abiding in, in Christ. The Bible talks about this. Discipline is valuable to those who desire their conduct to be godly. If you want to have a godly character, then you're going to welcome the discipline in your life. You're not going to run from it. You're not going to rebel on it. You're simply going to accept that as correction, godly correction in order to grow you in your relationship with the Lord and in your conduct. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we don't like discipline, right? Discipline's not a big, but painful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields that peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
Y'all, if you're going to live a godly, in godly conduct, then the discipline around you to help correct you and to help get you in line with that is a welcoming thing. It's a, I'm sorry, I understand what I've done is out of line and not in line with who I'm abiding in. I'm sorry I've disgraced the family name. I need to correct that. I need to change that. If your parents discipline you, 90% of the time, one is coming from a heart of love and a desire for your conduct to reflect one Christ, hopefully if you're living in a Christian family, or even just good character, right? You would do the right things. You would be in the right places doing the right things. There's nothing wrong with being good. Why do you have to always be bad? Why do you always have to rebel? Many of us feel like rebellion is the only thing we have. If you're a believer in Christ, welcome the discipline in your life in such a way that it would grow you into godly character that you're, it would, as the Bible would say, it would go well with you as it relates to the discipline that our parents would give us. It's painful for the moment, y'all. We don't have it all together. We make mistakes. We don't know all the things. We don't. And we are foolish to believe that we know it all. Many of us are 18 and under. You've only been around the block for so long. And when you get out of line, one, you recognize that, and do what you can to correct it in such a way that you're honoring the Lord, but Josh, you're honoring your parents and the people around you. Godly character and conduct is a good thing. The lips and the conduct must match what you believe. The last one, the last fruit, and I have to be done like right now. Uh, Gospel-fueled lifestyle. You ready? Hold on. Gospel-fueled lifestyle. What does that mean? Is that in me, if I'm abiding in Christ, then I want others to know who I'm abiding in. I'm going to be free in sharing the gospel. I want the people around me to know Jesus because as I'm connected to him, he's flowing through me and I want to share that with the people around me. The abiding believer is one that's going to live a gospel-fueled lifestyle that I want the people around me to know who Jesus is. One, by how I talk, how I live, who I am. I'm different because I'm abiding in Christ. And we ought to be different. We should not look like the world, y'all. We should not look like the world. Because these characteristics, these fruits that I'm talking about, those things are not revealed in culture. Those things are revealed in Christ, in Christ alone. The power of the cross is salvation for all mankind. The power of the cross is salvation for all mankind. That's right there in your talk sheet. All mankind. 1 Corinthians 1.17 says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made of no effect. Y'all just say it like it is. I don't know what to say. Do you love Jesus? Tell your friend that. Just encourage them to love Jesus too. Tell the story of how you came to know Christ. There is no one, no one, that is too far gone of the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. Can I get an amen? Nobody, none of your friends are too far gone to experience the gospel. Nobody. He loves all. 
and desires all to know him and to experience the love of Christ. And if you have gotten in your place, in your heart, to believe that someone is too far gone and just ignores them, and the, the most godliest way I can tell you is you're wrong. Start praying for them, sharing the gospel with them, seek to meet their needs, and you just never know what God will do in their heart and their life. God can radically change anybody. Anybody. My friends need to hear the gospel from me. From me. That's you. How are you sharing the gospel with the people around you? Are you using the dodgeball event? Could you use the dodgeball event to share your faith with someone? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. What would it look like for you to just have coffee with a friend? This is for the girls because the guys don't necessarily do this. They may go to Sonic. But the, the, guy, like the girls, you'll have coffee. What would it look like to schedule a coffee and intentionally share the gospel with a friend who's lost? And even pay for their coffee when they come. That would be really cool. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of the gospel? Paul wasn't. Romans 1.15 says this. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, that are pretty much far from God. For I am not ashamed. How many of you know this verse? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the last point that I have here is the nations need to hear the message of the gospel. The nations need to hear the message of the gospel. I was blown away to realize and to know that 5.4 billion people, billion people, do not know Christ as Savior. Billions of people do not know Jesus. And how are they going to hear the message of the cross? How are they going to hear the message? Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. And say, it's me. How are those 5.4 going to hear the message of the gospel? It's me. That's us. You can put your hands in. You're good. Thank you for participating. I made you voluntold. All right. Uh, Mark 13.10 says, And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. All nations. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's the word of evangelize. Witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. The gospel needs to go to the nations, and who will go? Whew, all right, I'm done. I have one takeaway. One takeaway. You ready? You're like, Steve, I've given, you've given me two every week. I have one takeaway. The fruit of our lives need to reflect the branch or the vine we are connected to. It should be vine, not branch. It should reflect the vine that we are connected to. All right, I'm done. And to be honest with you, as I think about this talk, even I talked to myself all day today, this message. And even as I talked about it to myself, I felt the conviction that there are so many of these fruits that I don't live by. Or I discredit. Or I just shrug off to the side. Or I think, oh, that's a fruit for somebody else. That's not a fruit for me. But here's the truth. As you look through Scripture and you read Scripture, man, these, these fruits are real. These are fruits that, 
Jesus would ask the, of his believers. And I know that for some of us, this is really convicting to hear maybe about our talk or maybe about our conduct. And we realize that how we treat other people around us is not good. And, I, and I'm praying that, really genuinely praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would follow on us. And that we would do fruit number one. And that's repent. Man, if, if you're finding yourself and your words and your conduct and maybe your non-compassion for the people around you, if you're finding those things not a part of your life or you're just not dealing with or not you're struggling with it, then what would it look like for you just to surrender that to the Lord right now? What would that look like for you just to bow your heads and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my, my mouth. I'm sorry for my conduct. Would you forgive me? And here's the thing. Here's what I know about God. The very second that you breathe that genuine repentance, the very second you breathe that, His love is coming like crazy. And His mercy is coming like a train. He can't stop Himself because He loves you so much. He cares so much about you. He has mercy on you. And anytime, anytime someone turns His heart and His life toward Him, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all of them cannot help themselves but to come rushing in. And trust me, he will forgive you. He will forgive you. And I believe as a follower of Christ, there are times when we get it wrong and there's sometimes when we get it right. Right? And so many times in the journey of faith, it's up and down, right? (laughs) Sometimes I get that fruit right, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't. And you're sitting there thinking, well, Steve, that's just a roller coaster. But here's the thing. If you look at the overall trajectory of your life, every time that you repent, every time that you forgive, your life gets more and more stacked with a relationship with the Lord. Because then you're turning your life over to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I love about God. He will never reject you. Well, unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then that's a whole other issue. But if you genuinely repent of some of these fruits that you're not displaying, he will forgive you. Absolutely. Right here and right now. And so I want to challenge y'all. I want to challenge every one of us. I want to challenge me that I would start living out this fruit. Because there's sometimes the jokes that I tell are sarcastic filled. And many times it's the sarcasm that affects other people. And that's wrong. I'm belittling someone else. That's wrong. I can't let my words do that. 